All right. Well, good morning, Northwest. It's great to have you guys here. My name's Jerry, one of the pastors here, and it's my joy to be able to share with you this morning on this Mother's Day that has been recognized in several ways already. Uh, I do want to mention to all of you ladies that received the M&Ms with the fancy pants sticker on it, if you want to eat those during the message, I officially give you permission to do that. Um, just do not make the same mistake that I made when I was seven or eight years old. My father is a pastor and uh, I decided it would be a good idea to sneak in a little bit of a snack to the message. And uh, I was a big fan of peanut M&M's. I don't know how many got the peanut M&M's. We had some plain, we had some peanut. But I was a big fan of the peanut M&M's. And so I didn't just go for the little fun size. That's weak. Get that out of here. I didn't even go for the king size. I got the one pound bag of peanut M&M's. Like a feed bag, you know, like a horse. That's how I would roll when I was young and even to this day on occasion. But I brought that into church and I just kind of snuck it in there, you know, and sat kind of by myself. And my dad's up there waxing eloquent. And, uh, and it was time to open up the bag. So I'm, you know, trying to muscle that thing open. It's just not working. And so sure enough, you can see where this story's headed, right? So I pop that whole thing open. And I promise you, all 12 ounces of peanuts came out of there and spread in a 30-foot circumference on the wood floor of our 150-year-old First Baptist Church of Milburn, right in the middle of my dad's message. And it was a very sickening sound to hear them rolling every which way. And I'm left holding the bag, literally. So you can have permission to do that, feel free. And you know, the cool thing about this sweet auditorium is there's got kind of a sloped little contour. So if anybody does do that, they're just gonna trickle down economics coming right down over here. And this crew of beautiful high school students will have a feast of M&M. So there you have it. But really, we do want to uh, address uh, the idea of Mother's Day um, and crafted a special message just for this morning. It's not something that we do every year for Mother's Day or Father's Day. But this year, we decided that we wanted to, as a church, uh, recognize that and, and dive into God's Word together and see what God would have us to learn. A couple of fun facts about Mother's Day. Uh, today, there are two billion mothers that are on this planet right now. Two billion. That's quite a number. Um, listen to this. By a child's second birthday, okay, their diaper has been changed on average 7,300 times. All right? How many people have a preschooler or somebody in diapers still rolling around? All right? Somebody, yes. All right? By the time they reach their two-year birthday, 7,300 times their diaper has needed to be changed. That by itself deserves a whole day of honoring these saints, right? Listen to this. Um, preschoolers. Uh, preschoolers require mom's attention on average every four minutes. Or in other words, 210 times per day. <laughs> um, yeah. Uh, so how about this, the, uh, the, the, the mother who has had the most babies, her name is Mrs. Vasalyu of Russia. I don't know, I'm not even going to say anything about that. Um, 69 babies, 69 natural children. My wife does not believe me. She's going to be fact-checking on her phone like many of you do when we come. It's true. 16 pairs of twins, 7 sets of triplets, 4 sets of quadruplets, 
um, yeah, 69 natural children for this Russian woman. So good luck remembering all those birthdays. One will come like once a week probably at least. Um, the oldest mom, Rosanna Della Corte, had a baby when she was 63 years old. Just imagine that. Um, the woman who had the largest baby, her name is Senor, she needs to be a senior for this, uh, Carmelina Fidel, her baby was 22 pounds and 8 ounces, which is crazy big. All right, so here's one final one that we can all maybe relate to. If you have children, I thought I would bring to your attention and depression here this morning. The cost of raising a child. This is the cost per child until they turn 18. This is not even including college. This is until they turn 18. You ready for this? On average, for a middle-income family, they spend $245,000 per child to get them to the age of 18. So that means if you have four kids here, Matt Rice, one of our pastors, four children... That's a cool $1 million that this is costing you. Yes, some of you are like, I'd like to cash mine in at this moment. <laughs> we know it's a big sacrifice, right? And, uh, but we recognize, and I know that you're going to be in agreement with me, that it is absolutely worth $250,000 per child. Absolutely, hands down, it's worth it. Right? Amen to that, maybe? <laughs> I hear some hesitation out there. No. We know that it's, a, that it's a sacrifice, without a doubt. So today we want to talk about um, that we're grateful to moms. Um, I think back on my, on my own story, and I put my mom through a lot. I was the only son. I had three sisters. Uh, so my mom would always say, my son, my son, my one and only son. Even to this day when I call her, I'm like, mom, I'm 40 years old. Like, my son, my only son. But I remember everything that I put her through when I was uh, growing up in the 80s. I was a big fan of the professional wrestling that was on TV. Uh, so much so that I took our backyard and we had a couple strategically located trees along with a giant post for our back um, you know, deck that I gathered every uh, you know, hose that we had around, garden hose, and I tied them in a very loose square and I had all three of them and I made this makeshift wrestling ring in our backyard and I would bounce off that my friends would come over and I had this giant bear this massive stuffed bear that I would beat up and do a suplex on you know and I was just in my own little world I was like 16 it's okay no just kidding I was like eight maybe but my mom let this go on for months and like she would have to park the car and take her groceries and like step through the wrestling ring hoses, you know, and so I finally wised up and wanted to be a good son, like Randy the Macho Man Savage, if you remember him, you remember how he used to like sit there and like open up the things and like hold it open for the lovely Miss Elizabeth to come through, does anybody with me on the 80s wrestling trivia? Okay, a few of you don't want to admit it, but you know that, you know that I'm right, you know what I'm talking about. So I would hold that open and be a good son, but man, all the things that they did for us, right, all the inconveniences, all the things that they put up with us about and for now remember just a few years ago the realization of uh, the sacrifices that my mom and dad made um, we were looking through some old photos and I noticed one of our family um, in those younger formative years and I said mom 
you're so skinny in this picture. Which is really not a good thing to say at any moment in time ever. Side note. But I wasn't commenting on anything outside of like, wow, I can't believe how skinny you look in this picture. And my father said, well, Jerry, you know why that is, don't you? And I said, no. He goes, because your mother would often forego eating dinner so that you could have two servings of food. Not even kidding around. We grew up in a very poor environment. My father was a pastor, and we lived in a nice town and everything else, but, but we didn't even make here's poverty lev- level, and we were here. And I said, really? And he's like, oh, yeah, she, she didn't want her, her, her son, her one and only son to, you know, he, she wanted you to be fed, so sometimes that's, that's what would happen. So we recognize that there's some amazing memories that we have but we also want to recognize that this day is not easy for a lot of people and to be honest with you I was really wrestling this week as I'm pouring over text and really praying to God about this Sunday and picturing this and picturing our body our family here at Northwest and the many different stories um, that are that are within this this body that make it uh, difficult on Mother's Day Um, for those who are mothers right now with kids in the home We want to say that we celebrate this day with you. We recognize all those sacrifices, the difficulty, the frustration. We feel your anxiety and your fear about the future for your children. But we hope today will be inspirational and powerful for you as a reminder from the creator of moms, God himself. For those who have mothers that have passed away, we grieve with you. And we remember with you. We trust that the God of all peace will wrap his loving arms around you. As your memory is filled with great moments from the past. For some perhaps that didn't have a great experience with your mother. Or maybe you grew up without a mother. We know that today can be tough for you as well. We pray for you and we stand by you. We sincerely hope that someone stepped into that role and showed you love and grace and support and nurturing that was needed in your life. And for those who have wanted motherhood so badly but have never experienced it yet, we want to share in that burden with you. We pray that God will allow those desires to someday come true and that your empty arms would be filled And we pray that in the meantime, God will allow you to step into that role and influence someone who needs arms to hold them. For all in attendance, we hope and pray that today we can encourage, celebrate, and recognize the women around us who are entrusted with this great task. And we hope that God will be glorified through his church today and through his word. And so the way we've crafted the message this morning, typically we'll take one passage, and we're right in the middle of a series right now, but even when we have standalone messages, we'll take one passage of scripture and uh, focus there. Uh, This morning is going to be a little bit different. Uh, We've got three different concepts, three different reminders from women of scripture, mothers of scripture, that we just want to bring to your attention here this morning. It's great reminders for anyone here that's a mom, and the application will be for the rest of us as well, uh, who aren't 
not mothers, but know women who are moms uh, and, and, and that sort of thing. So if you're taking notes, we just have three reminders. They're simple, but yet they're profound and incredibly important. And the first one that we want to share with you moms in, in these moments is this. Uh, number one, we want to urge you and we want to implore you, don't miss the moment. Don't miss the moment. For many, uh, as your children are growing up, it can really be more of an attitude that says, let me just get through this phase. Right? How many people in those first two years when we're talking about 7,300 diaper changes, you're like, yes, please, let me just get through this phase. And that can kind of be at every step. That's going to be the temptation to lean in that direction, right? Even when you're pregnant, I can remember with my wife and I, you know, we're like, oh, I just want to have this baby. You know, so we're walking around the block and doing jumping jacks and like anything possible. Like, oh, let me just have this baby. Then you're in the hospital. Oh, I just can't wait to get home. And once you get home, oh, I can't wait until, you know, they're old enough to sleep in their own room and not next to our bed where we hear every tiny little sigh that they make, right? I can't wait until they sleep in their own room or I can't wait until they're potty trained or I can't wait until they finally go off to school and I can have some time back to myself. Amen to that? Or I can't wait until they're old enough to stay home and I don't have to pay a babysitter. Or I can't wait until they learn to drive and then this way I won't have to drive them all over the place. At every single piece, it's just like a phase and the temptation can be to miss all those moments because you're always looking to what's ahead and I can't wait for the next phase to begin. And then it comes to, man, I can't wait for them to graduate high school, right? Oh, no, wait a minute. Because somewhere along the line, when it starts to get up to those years, and you're a junior in high school, and like, oh, goodness, we got to talk about college and applications, and where are you going to go, and what school do you want to go to, and what's gonna, your major going to be, and graduation's coming, and i got to get this party on the calendar, and holy cow, where did all the time go? I missed it all. I don't, can you please fail and like take your senior year over again? Like, something so that it doesn't go to this next phase because I feel like it's all gone so fast. Well, I want to bring you this illustration from uh, the book of Luke chapter 2. Luke chapter 2, you don't need to turn there. We've got the scriptures up here uh, that we're going uh, to be referencing again because we have three different ones. But in Luke chapter 2, that's probably one of the most often read passages of scripture. You know, like every Christmas pageant and every Christmas Eve service and you know, perhaps in your own home, you break out the family Bible and you read Luke chapter 2, right? That's the amazing account uh, that many of us perhaps have memorized about uh, Jesus and when his story began and when he was born. But we want to talk a little bit about Mary this morning and this whole idea of not missing the moment. Because Mary in Luke chapter 1, when the angels came to her and revealed to her that she would be uh, having a child and this would be the son of God, you know what Mary did when she found out she was pregnant? She busted out in a song. Any women here do that by chance? Do you wax poetic and just start singing? It's called the Magnificat, and it's right there in Luke chapter 1. It's incredible. You should read it. But Mary just starts to sing, and she just starts to say, Oh, Lord, that you would have favor upon me, such a lowly person. You would entrust me with this incredible gift. And, Lord, the rich are going to go out empty, and those who are poor are going to come in and be satisfied. And for generations, everything is going to change because you have chosen a king to now rule over your people. 
And she was so filled with joy. And in Luke chapter 2, we get this unique, brief account of the kind of person that Mary was and the idea of not missing the moment. Let's just read this. It says this, When the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let us go over to Bethlehem. See this thing that has happened which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste, and they found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. And when they saw it, they made known the sayings that had been told them concerning this child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. But Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. Luke chapter 2, verses 15 through 19, if you're listening on the podcast. But that whole idea right there, Mary treasured up all of these things and pondered them in her heart. You get the picture that there's angels and there's shepherds and there's lots of flurry of activity and everything's going around, you know, surrounding the situation. But it says, but Mary, instead of just being so outwardly focused and running around and sharing and talking, it's like, nope, there was a quiet moment there. She treasured up these things and she pondered them. The Greek word is very significant for pondered. The Greek word means she weighed them. So those weighty moments, those significant moments, she was able to slow down enough in her spirit and in her flurry of activity to allow the weight to impact her. And I'll tell you what, if there's one thing I know to be true in our society... Not only is it, yep, keep on waiting for the next thing, but just in general, the rush and flurry of activity and the busyness of our lives causes us to not be able to slow down. I want to encourage you here this morning to think that through. What moments can you ponder? What moments can you treasure even right now? I wrote down this phrase. I think a good challenge would be for us to create monuments instead of missing moments. Create monuments. See, in the Old Testament, you see that over and over and over again. When God would do something incredible, he would tell his people, here's what I want you to do. I want you to build this altar. I want you to build, you know, 12 big massive stones, pile them up, create a monument. And God specifically says, so that when your children ask, What does this monument mean? Why are these stones piled here? You can share with them how God came through, how God rescued, and what God did in that moment. I came across a video this week that some of you have seen that just totally encapsulated this idea of slowing down and not missing each moment. So just watch this. It's about four minutes long, but just take it in and let God use this to solidify what Mary did in slowing down. Check it out. Here's to you, you were pink or blue, and everything I wanted. Here's to you, never sleeping through, from midnight till the morning. Before you walked, before you ran, before I knew it You were trying to free your fingers from my hand Cause you could do it on your own now 
That's what we're talking about, right? That whole idea of slowing down, capturing those moments, pondering them, keeping them, just like Mary did. Second thing that we want to encourage you and remind you moms of here this morning, number two, is to encourage other influences. Encourage other influences, other voices outside of your own. In my notes in parentheses, I wrote down, land the helicopter. You know, you've heard of this phrase called helicopter moms or helicopter parenting, where they're just kind of hovering over everything and every little thing that Johnny's into and who his friends are and what he's doing in middle school and high school. And even psychologists tell us and and professors tell us, even on the college campus level, they get helicopter moms emailing professors and calling professors, asking questions and asking for, you know, a makeup test or grace or whatever. 
Right? We see that more and more in our society that the, the temptation is to be involved in every aspect and protect them and we want our voice to be the one that they listen to the most. Well, a very curious um, reality of life is not, that's not really the way we were created. In student ministry and even with Adam uh, King, our, our uh, student ministry pastor here, uh, we've, we've presented this to parents of middle school and high school students, this continuum that's almost like a giant X, if you can picture it. And this is your child's age as they're getting older and older and older, from zero to 18. Here is the level of parents' influence as a primary voice uh, in their lives. The older that they get, that level tends to go like this. And we don't want to think about that. We want to think, well, when my kid's 14 or 16 or 18, I still want my voice to be the one that they're listening to the most. But the fact is, it's going like this. And their need, as they get older, for other voices, other spiritual mentors to come into their life continues to increase. And so we get a negative example of this in uh, Matthew chapter 20, verse 20. Maybe you'll remember this story if you grew up in church for a while. But that's uh, two brothers, James and John. Right, And in Matthew chapter 20, their mother was hanging around with them. And their mother actually approached Jesus. And the account is right there and said, oh, by the way, you know my two sons, James and John, over here. Would it be possible, uh, you know, if they could kind of in your kingdom, if one could sit at your right and one at your left because they're my boys and they deserve the best and they're the most capable and uh, they would be the best leader. So what do you think? You know, you get the idea of like kind of a hovering mom, like always involved in their kid's business. But the example that I want to share with you uh, is just to summarize uh, a man named Samuel and his mother named Hannah. And that's in 1 Samuel chapter 1 and chapter 3, if you want to read that over later. It's an incredible account. Hannah wanted a son for so long, wanted a child, and God finally blessed her with a child. She named him Samuel, and just like we had these people up here dedicating their, their children to God, Hannah said, this, my son, is going to be in the service of God. God gave him to me. I'm giving him back. So she allowed um, uh, Eli, a priest in the temple, to be the one to influence and raise up Samuel from the time he was a young boy. Now, here's the key that I want you to think about. It became time for Samuel to really do some great things for God. We don't really know how old he was in the text necessarily. But we know that he was getting ready to go to bed. And all of a sudden he heard something that said, Samuel, Samuel. And he ran into Eli, his mentor, the priest. and said, yes, uh, I, I'm here. What do you need? And Eli said, I didn't call you. And he said, yes, you did. And he said, no, I didn't. Go back to bed. And then it happened again. Samuel, Samuel. He got up, went into Eli again. Yes, master, I'm here to serve. What do you need? I didn't call you, but Eli said, if it happens again, perhaps it is God, and say, speak, Lord, your servant is listening, and that's exactly what happened, but the point that I want you to think about is, for Samuel, he needed somebody else besides his parents to be the spiritual influence and help him discern what God's will was. Those other voices in our lives are incredibly important and we need to be aware of that. And mothers who really want their children to grow will value that and cherish that. I came across this account um, that was really influential. It's in a book called Generation IY by a guy named Tim Elmore. 
And just, just listen to what he did with this whole idea of other influences. He says this. When my daughter, when my daughter Bethany was 13, my wife and I noticed it was time to be intentional about introducing other voices into her life besides our own. We wanted adult voices influencing her choices, not just peers. So we made what was probably the smartest parenting decision of our lives. We decided to ask six women in Bethany's life, women that she thought were, were cool, that's important, and that her mother and I respected, to be mentors for her. Next, I called each one and asked if she would invest just one day in our daughter's life. If they worked outside the home, I suggested that they take Bethany to work with them. In fact, they could put her to work. All I asked was that each woman would share one life message with our daughter. Something she wished someone had shared with her when she was 13. Not only did they all say yes, but they did far more than we could have ever asked for. Sarah, a registered nurse, took Bethany to a hospital maternity ward where she actually helped mothers give birth. Later that afternoon, Sarah took Bethany to a class for unwed mothers, many of them young teens who were far from ready for the responsibility of motherhood. Finally, at the end of the day, Sarah's life message for Bethany was on sexual purity, waiting for marriage before she said yes. And after the day that they spent together, you can imagine how profound this message was to Bethany, much more memorable than my lecture on the subject. Holly, another mentor, took Bethany to downtown Atlanta where they worked in the projects all day among underprivileged families. At the end of the year, we hosted a dinner and invited all the mentors to our home to say thanks. Bethany served them and ate with them. Then we migrated into the family room for a time to share about the past year. At this point, our 13-year-old daughter sat in the middle of the room with her mentors all around her. To each one, she read a personal thank you card she had written, outlining the significant lessons she remembered from their time together. Needless to say, this was a deeply moving time for all of us. When Bethany had finished reading, I opened up the scriptures to read about how Jewish families used to give a blessing to their children centuries ago. But before I could suggest that we repeat this same act with Bethany, those women gathered around our daughter and began to speak a blessing into her life, reminding her how much they believed in her, how much they loved her, and how much potential they could see for her future. There wasn't a dry eye in the room. You can see the importance of having other people speak those same truths into your children's lives as you would speak. That's powerful. The third thing we want to talk about here briefly is this idea of see and understand your greater legacy. As a parent, as a mom, see your greater legacy. And the passage here in 1 Timothy chapter 1 uh, is, is really obscure, but is really interesting. I don't know if you've ever noticed this before, but here's what it says. Paul's writing to Timothy and he says, I thank God whom I serve as my ancestors did, with a clear conscience, as I remember you constantly in my prayers night and day. I'm reminded of your sincere faith, a faith that dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and in your mother Eunice, and now I am sure 
dwells in you as well. For this reason, I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For God gave us a spirit, not of fear, but of power and love and self-control. So from this obscure passage, you can see that here's Paul writing to Timothy and says, yep, I see that you're a young man, that you love God. God's got, God's got great thing in store for you. But we need to take a minute and we need to pay homage and respect to your mother and to your grandmother. They understood the value of instilling character and not just behavioral change. So at some point, there was a grandmother whose name was Lois. And she was there and she was, had a daughter and uh, instilled all these things into her daughter. And that daughter had a son and, and she instilled all those things into her son, Timothy. And that is the legacy that they created, a trickle-down effect. And this morning, I just want to remind us of the importance, not just in your own kids' lives, but for generations to come, of what a difference they can make and how they can point to you and your influence. Will you allow God to use you in that way? I can remember when I was growing up, again, my dad was a pastor, and because of that, we spent a lot of weird, obscure time in places that most people didn't. I spent a lot of time in convalescent homes, nursing homes for the elderly. Um, we did Easter pageants and Christmas pageants and all of that. We spent a lot of time in um, homeless shelters. And when I was growing up, homeless people, to me, were the equivalent of murderers. Because in my young mind, I walked in, and this was one of those shelters where it was like, you know, yeah, we'll give you some food and we'll give you some clothes, but you have to sit through a church service first. You know what I mean? One of those places. So I was in Newark, New Jersey, and burned out buildings and abandoned cars and just scary for a young lad to drive through. And I'm here, and there's these scary-looking people everywhere, and I thought they were bound to kill me. But we went there and we served. I played the piano. We read scripture. We sang. And I look back now on my mom and dad and I just say, hey, thank you so much for as kids, even though I didn't want to go, you made me go and do these things that I didn't want to do because you wanted me to see the heart that God has for the broken and the marginalized and the weak and the lost. And so now I take great joy in sharing with, with my parents the things that our church is doing. Spending time in Durham and in Raleigh and helping unwed mothers and all the other things that many of you are involved with and our student ministry is involved with and my own kids are involved with. And I say, you know what, Mom? That's your influence. That's Grandma's influence. And that has lasted and that has trickled down. And that's an incredible thing to celebrate. Well, in closing... I just want to share some application that really can be for all of us here. What do we do with this now? Well, number one, if your mother is alive, I would really strongly encourage you today to relive some of those moments that need to be pondered, need to be treasured, just like Mary, right? Share with her those significant moments that your parents made a difference in your life. I know for me, I, I will often on my parents' birthday or even Mother's and Father's Day, I will call when I know they won't answer so I can actually leave a message because I know that leaving a message is something that they will keep and listen to over and over and over again. 
So I don't know what your normal routine is for Mother's Day if you're spending time and if you just write a nice little card, that's great, that's awesome. But I would want to challenge you to go one step further than that. Write a letter. Write some significance. Pour out your heart and soul. Thank them for what they've done for you. What do we do with this? Let your parents, let your mother, if she's still alive, receive glory and joy even from the victories in your life. And even at this moment, on this Mother's Day, I wonder if God would be pleased if there was an opportunity for forgiveness and for mercy to be shown even today. Scripture talks in 1 John about, he says, I have no greater joy than to know that my children are walking in truth. Maybe a great Mother's Day gift for you today can be to reconcile with your brother or your sister. And man, I'll tell you what, again, I know that this can be a tough day for many today because of circumstances that have crept in and difficulty and brokenness. And if there's one thing I know from Scripture, it's that God delights in taking broken things and broken relationships and mistakes that we've made, and He has a way to come in and heal and redeem and reconcile those things. In church today, I'm praying that we would celebrate, that we would enjoy, that we would relish, and that we would cherish but also that the Holy Spirit would give us the strength and the power to make right things that we might need to make right. So it's with that thought in mind, let's bow our heads together and let's quiet ourselves and let's close in prayer. Our great God and Father, we thank you for who you are. Jesus, we thank you for the illustration that Mary was to us. Your mother. Lord, we thank you for the illustration of Hannah and how she freely gave up her son to let other people influence. And God, we thank you for Eunice and Lois and the impact that they had, even without a father in the picture, as far as we can tell, to influence young Timothy in such a way that he would rise up and be an incredible warrior for you. So Lord, we thank you for all these reminders and God. We just pray that you would give us the strength to now act on what we've heard. For all the mothers here, for them to respond with whatever you lead them to, for those of us that have close interaction with these amazing women, for us to encourage them and see your glory through them, God, we pray. We love you, Father, in your son's name.